Colonel Ian, you may not give a damn about the Geneva Convention, but someday you're going to be held accountable. The Geneva Convention applies to prisoners of war. You men are not prisoners of war. You are common criminals. I have repeatedly told you that there is no escape from my camp unless you consider death an escape. Would you say you're a, a Shabadoo guy or a Boogaloo shrimp guy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. What's going on? You can everybody? answer that if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Boogaloo Probably Shrimp that. was always the best friggin' uh, name ever <laughs> for any person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, so welcome back, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's Danny Boyle episode, which was great. Did you get a chance to see it, dude? I actually, this is this is one I've actually missed listening to. I've listened to every one the week, like the day that it drops. Oh man, that just shows how busy you are. (laughs) I know, dude. It's been it's 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 well worth it, but it has been freaking crazy busy here lately. As it just nothing but work, huh? Yeah, dude. uh, (laughs) Like I said, I I finally got done working at the spa, and I have just been. Well, good thing for you, nothing happened on the news. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Nothing happened this week. Don't worry about it. You're you're better off ignoring it. In fact, (laughs) yeah, you will live a happier life. That is for sure. If you avoid the news, yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, we're still living in some crazy times. COVID's still around. It looks like we're getting spikes like crazy. Uh, Florida had a huge day yesterday. Alabama had like the the, a record day of like eight hundred and seventy four cases. It's all that memorial. All those Memorial Day cases are popping up it's been two weeks so yep we got about another week and then we can see some protesting cases popping up and then everything's gonna have to get shut down again (laughs) yeah it's crazy man it's crazy crazy. so we're just gonna have to i I was telling uh my mom it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy later in the year i said but it's like we're almost done week to week now of of craziness (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) like i i'm not even i don't even want to know what comes next week yeah (laughs) We already had the murder hornets. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> oh, worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, this week. Was it you? What's got? Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, was it you that was saying that um, the Black Mirror's producer is going to postpone the uh, season that he had yeah. coming up because yeah. it, was, it was too realistic to what's going on right now? Yeah, maybe it was me. I did hear that. <laughs> yeah. It's that is crazy, so crazy, man. Right? <laughs> yeah. No one knows what the hell is going on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is a great. This is a probably the best time period to been able to talk about these movies then, because this is some complete and utter cheese and nostalgia and like so much that we have to do two episodes to fill it all in there, man. And that's absolutely the the epic canon film pod that we've been talking about for weeks and uh i'm super excited about this i loved this list was such a fun list to go through this one and part two and i'm lucky that i own most of these because a lot of these are very difficult to find every once in a while you'll find some like on weird kind of uh things like you can get break into electric boogaloo on like amazon prime but uh so many of these you cannot find i just have happened to grab all the dvds over the years so i've been 
I've been building up to do this pod. <laughs> I know, right? You've been training for this for a long time. I've been time. training. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think I got most of on part two also. So I'll, I'll be pretty well versed in these. Because like I said, these were ones I watched in the 80s growing up. And I friggin' loved them, man. I mean, as an 80s kid, I mean, you look at some of these dates on here. It, it, it just is crazy because we've got 12 movies on here. And uh, it, it includes, a couple of them includes two of them because it's part of the franchise. But six of the 12 on this list were all done in 1985. All in the same year? All 1985, dude. That's that just insane, tells you dude. how crazy these producers were. So, Good God, man. To, to give you a brief, and I think like four of the other ones are from 1984. One, two, three. Yeah, there's another three and four. Uh, yeah. Like Breaking and Breaking to Electric Boogaloo was the same year. <laughs> was it really? How the hell is that even possible that uh, both Breaking movies came out the same year? That must be that must be a record. There's no other way that a sequel. Yeah, came no, out. I mean like what it came out like January 1st and then December 31st. Maybe. Like, uh, I mean I I don't even know how that's even possible, but That's crazy. <laughs> so man. if anyone out there is not familiar with Canon films, it was this company run by these two crazy wild men. Uh, were they cousins or were they just business partners? Do you remember? They were just friends. They, they were, were just, just friends. friends. And yeah. one of them was named uh, Yoram Globus and uh, Manhayam uh, Gullen uh, was the other one. And uh, I want to say they were from, uh, damn, were they from Israel? Maybe? I think it was Turkey. Turkey? Yeah, Turkish. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And um, if you're not familiar with the Electric Boogaloo uh, documentary, both me and Justin highly recommend it. It's absolutely. so much goddamn fun, man. And we'll, I, I was just go ahead. Sorry, bud. Um, I was just about to say, like one of my one of my favorite lines that describes their relationship because somebody asked them, you know, are you brothers? Are you related? Something like that. And they said, no, we're much more than that. And and they explained it by saying, we sign each other's checks. <laughs> Like, that's how much trust they had in each other. They just like, yeah, go ahead, just whatever. This is your check. Go for it. You yeah, know? man. It, it, they worked with a lot of the same people. They were of the kind of um, Roger Corman school of filmmaking where they they loved movies. They just absolutely loved movies, but they didn't have a shitload of money to do it, and they wanted to uh, put out a certain amount of uh, – like, I mean, if you're looking at how many are in 85 alone, that shows you that quantity over quality sometimes is how it goes. And they started as like a, uh, like Canon started as like a porno uh, movies and stuff. They were just doing like low rent independent porn movies. So when they transitioned to like actual big budget movies, it, it almost carried over a lot of the kind of sex stuff that was going on in the porn industry. So Canon became kind of very well known for like action packed over the top kind of acting and action along with lots of TNA, you know, I mean, yeah. almost every one of these movies, not every one of them, but there's a good chunk of these movies that have just major TNA in it. Some of them don't. Yeah. Now that I look at the, uh, the list here, there are a couple that are more PG kind of style ones, but, uh, he certainly had a bunch of them. Where and the documentary shows all that. Do you remember on the documentary that one of the directors who had worked with him, uh, burned the script, <laughs> burned the script for the movie, like right there during the interview. Wow. Um, Man, it was crazy. It's a fun, yeah. fun kind of documentary, even if you're not familiar with uh, some of these movies. But if you lived through the 80s and you were a huge movie guy, and especially if you were like, I mean, I watched a lot of these movies when I was like 10 or 12 years old, man. It was a lot of these that I watched. I mean, they basically started a couple different genres themselves, you know, uh, and inadvertently 
actually made a good movie here and there. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, a lot of these, and, and we'll be going through the whole list here, uh, <clears throat> a lot of them obviously aren't fantastic gonna win an award type films and everything and a lot of them were we love them because we grew up and we were like 12 years old and we got to see people break dancing or we got to see ninjas or or we just got to see tna and some uh people using uzis and rocket launchers or all of those in the in the same movie (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) (laughs) uh chuck norris and uh sorry chuck norris and charles bronson were like their two big actors so there's a lot of uh, Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson movies on both these uh, pods because there was even a like uh, a lot of the on the documentary they were talking about it at some point it was like they it was like the two Chucks you know whatever script came in it, it went through the two Chucks first and whoever wanted to do one they would pick it and the other one would do the other ones and everything and then it would go to like ancillary actors here and there but it always went through those two guys so yeah. I mean they probably made buttloads of money off of uh, off of these guys. I mean, oh, I'm sure. I would imagine like 30% of the budget probably went to those guys. Oh, easily. Yeah. And I mean, they probably just kept them on staff. You know, they probably just received a steady paycheck whether they were working or not. Absolutely. You know? Now, yeah. there's like two or three of these movies on this list that they're like in my top 100. I wouldn't say they're in like I top like uh, 50 or anything, but I'm a huge 10 to midnight and uh life force fan i and and death wish three man uh there's a few of these movies that i watched when i was young and then once they came out on uh video i bought them on video i i went and rebought them on dvd i think life force i have in like i have like three different copies i have a dvd a blu-ray and then they came out with like a special edition one and uh that's a movie that i like i've held the candle for 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 years and most people don't even know what the hell it is so <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i'm familiar with that one well we'll get to that one a little bit let's start let's start from the beginning here and uh early on in their career i mean they made it relatively uh known to people that they were going to uh get into the ninja business <laughs> yeah and th- really good man i mean i i know you were a huge fan of these ninja movies uh that came out this time Oh, definitely, dude. Like, and I think, I think you have said previously, and I totally agree with you, like, they pretty much are the ones that put the word ninja into the, you know, English language here in America. Absolutely. I don't think anybody knew what a ninja was until they made Enter the Ninja, you yep. know? And that's our first one, 1981, Enter the Ninja. And it's got two sequels, and both of those are on here, too. Uh Enter, Enter the Ninja, I always enjoyed because I like the look of him in his white outfit. I mean, when you go back and you watch it, so Frank Franco Nero plays the main ninja, who I'm not even sure he has any like martial arts skills, to be honest with you. Uh, right. He's like this big kind of Texan that... Uh, he's the type of John Wayne type actor that when he's swinging a punch, you could see it coming from a mile away and it, it takes right, three yeah. seconds to follow through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but somehow they stuck him in this uniform and he looked good. And they overdubbed him, man. They overdubbed his entire dialogue through this whole movie. That's crazy. So if you look at, if you're rewatching it in Europe, because he's got like a thick Italian accent and I think that's what the problem was. They want him to sound like he was just from like Texas or something. Uh, right. <clears throat> but this was probably one of the first ninja movies I ever watched, which was also, um, what's our guy from Revenge of the Ninja? 
Show Kazuki. Yeah, Show Kazuki, man. And he became rich off these producers as well because he's done several of these movies on here. And he's probably one of my favorite uh, Asian American actors, too. Show Kazuki was the, he's badass. He's the real deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Not like I, I'll talk about a little factoid when we get to the next one, you know, having to do with the series when we get there. Nice. And <clears throat> so basically what's going on in this is you have like this American kind of ninja who's the, the opening was crazy. Do you remember the opening where he's like infiltrating this like compound and you don't realize what you don't realize is he's part when he's infiltrating it he's actually going through some training course and right, then when he gets yeah. to the end the sensei sensei there is like bows down and then he cuts the sensei's head off but it wasn't really yeah. the sensei it was like this weird statue which i'm still every time i watch it i'm still confused how, wait i saw him bow down how suddenly he had <laughs> yeah. statue but you're not supposed to look that close into these films yeah that's canon films <laughs> yeah. exactly just uh, go with it so it it, it like shows off the who Franco Nero character is and it immediately shows that he's having some animosity with like the that one head ninja who's Shokazuki who says I'm not going to accept him and he's not my brother and I won't ever accept him as like a real ninja and type of thing so right basically kind of setting up later on what's going on but so what's actually going on in this movie is he's he ends up going to like I want to know where it is. It must be in uh, I want to say it's like a South American co- uh, country that he goes to, and he's working with his friend, and his friend's kind of shady, which <laughs> kind of goes along with a couple of the other Revenge of the Ninja. Actually, has a very similar theme to Enter the Ninja, except Revenge right. of the Ninja he has a kid in it, so uh, yeah, and it deals with mainly the uh, the Shokazugi character. Uh, <clears throat> but as far as like just the action in the movie and he, you got to see him use all the friggin' stops, man, you know, all those Chinese stars and the blow darts. And I mean, stuff that just got us super excited as a little the kid. Vanish. What was it? Oh, the vanishing. Yeah. Thing. The smoke bombs. I, yeah, I always loved the smoke bombs. The smoke bombs. We had Chinese stars as a kid. I I got bored with them very quickly because I mean, other than throwing them at like a plank of wood, I mean, what else are you going to do to them? I, I have one that I throw into a plank of wood all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was thrown it yesterday, man. Yeah, Don't right? make no, me it's feel it's bad. Sticking, it's sticking in the wood right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always loved that to the ninja, man. I thought it was fun. I thought there was a lot of great stuff with him. He wasn't the best actor and everything, but I, I think it probably worked better with him being overdubbed, to be honest with you. It kind of uh-huh. added to that 70s cheese, and we were used to... I mean, we were used to a lot of those foreign ninja movies at this time, too, being like the, the tracks were all mismatched and everyone. And this sounded a yeah. little bit better than that, at least. But it kicked off the major ninja thing. It had a big effect on me growing up because I always remember at the end where he cuts the one uh, ninja's head off. I was like, oh, shit, man. That was the first time I think I'd ever seen somebody cut uh, their head off with a samurai sword. And it yeah. like, certainly affected me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been watching it ever since. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one to get, man. I can't find Enter the Ninja anyways. You have to like drop like twenty, thirty dollars to be able to find one. Where a really? lot of these other ones are very like doable and gettable. So yeah, Enter the Ninja started it all off, and they realized once they got done, it was like it got really popular, and they were like, "Well, we need more of these friggin' ninja movies." So yeah. <laughs> well, before we get to a ninja movie, we're gonna we're gonna jump to one of my uh, one of my favorites on this list. Yeah. 
I absolutely love 10 to Midnight. 10 to Midnight is one of the shining stars of the canon kind of um, collection of films. And it stars Charles Bronson. Have you ever even heard of this movie? No, well, so I was going to say, I just know that you have like highly recommended this one to me in the past. You, you, I have it now. I just didn't have a chance to get yeah, to it. It's definitely worth still watching, man. It reminds me of uh, Dexter and uh, American Psycho. A lot of it, it has a very American Psycho feel to it. So wow. what's going on is it's dealing with a serial killer and like this fucked up serial killer. And Charles Bronson plays the cop who's trying to find him. He's like this, obviously, Charles Bronson usually plays, uh, I mean, he's almost always a cop and he's almost always taking the law into his own hands type of thing. And this is no different than that. But what's different about this is the beginning of the movie, you see these two people in a van having sex and uh, they cut between that and to some guy at a movie theater and he he's, he's goes into the movie theater and he hits on a couple girls in like the, at the concession stand. And then he goes into the movie with them and he sits behind them and he, he tries to flirt with them again and they tell him to get lost and everything. And so he goes to the back of the theater and when that happens, he dips into the bathroom and goes through the transom window and runs through the woods to where this van is parking where these two people are having sex and he takes all his clothes off <laughs> and he goes into the back of the van and he opens it and he slaughters these two people like horribly slaughters them i'm pretty sure one of them got out of the van and he's like running down the street butt-ass naked after her and oh, just wow. slashes the hell out of her with a knife and, and brutally kills her then puts back his clothes goes back through the uh, the window and slips back into the movie theater and makes sure that he those two girls see him as they're exiting the theater once again. And so he has just developed like this ironclad kind of, um, alibi. alibi. So he can get away with this murder and it keeps going and going. These, these murders that they keep showing. And there's another crazy one where he's already hiding in, uh, the girl's closet. And when she opens the door, he's always naked, dude. It's creepy. It's really creepy. One of, one of the best scenes in the whole movie is, uh, so he's going, uh, Charles Bronson basically knows this guy's doing it, but the guy is super smart. I mean, he's he's taking all his clothes off, so he's not leaving any, like, DNA for the most part. And he, he just does it naked, and he makes sure he has an alibi, and he's super unbelievably smart about it. He's creepy as hell, too. He, he reminds me of uh, Jan Michael Vincent, who uh, was uh, that guy from... Um, Damn, what was the, uh, he was another Charles Bronson movie with him, but he was also an airwolf. He had this kind of like pristine kind of mannequin looking face. And this guy is just screaming serial killer in this movie. Uh, (laughs) it, it gets so bad with Charles Bronson that, uh, Charles Bronson sets him up. He actually goes into the morgue and plants blood on him on the the victim and uh blood that he had taken from the guy so he he plants dna on him and the the guy's losing his shit because he knows damn well he didn't leave any fucking blood so he knows charles bronson's fucking with him and uh the lawyer gets him out on bail and while he's out on bail he finds charles bronson's daughter who's staying at like a sorority house and he shows up at the sorority house and he knocks on the door and when they open the door, he's butt-ass naked, and he rushes in, and he just starts slaughtering all the girls in the sorority oh house. Oh, my God. And to the point where he's looking for one last girl, and she's under the bed, and... Uh, 
he throws the bed off and he's like choking this woman and asking her where Charles Bronson's daughter is. And he's scary as shit, man. Uh, he was one of the best things about this movie because you look at him and you're thinking the whole movie, man, this guy's just like screaming to be a serial killer and everything. But it was, yeah. it was interesting how Charles Bronson, uh, just set the guy up so easily and, in and then admitted to the court. He like, he kind of screwed himself over because he knew he was going to, the guy was going to get off on it. So he decided to just admit it. He got ended up, they took his badge away from him. And then it was like an all out fight in the last third of the movie with just him and that guy going opposite against each other, man. It, it was wow. a tense, tense movie. Ten, 10 to midnight. Got to check it out. Hell yeah. All right. This next one, I'll let you tell us a little bit about this because I think you've seen it a lot uh, more recently than me is, uh, also 1983, because uh, they just pump these suckers out like they're nothing, uh, is uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Ninja. Never seen it. <laughs> dude, this is one of my all-time favorite. Like you said, dude, I mean, it would fall in probably the top 75. You know, it might be 75 on the list, but... If you gotta uh, have a ninja re- movie, this is it? Yeah, dude. Dude, Revenge of the Ninja Man. I, I, this is one of the first ninja movies I ever saw. I'm pretty sure I saw this before I saw Enter the Ninja. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, well, obviously, before three. But, like, you know, by the time I was old enough to see these, they were all already out. Yeah, um, And, like I said, I'll give you a little uh, little tidbit of info here. Um, oddly enough, uh, Sho Kazuki is the main character, and he has a son in the movie. And that son in the movie is his real son in real life. Oh, nice. Um yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Um, so, basically, now does this kind of pick up right after? No, it Enter it, the ninja? it really. I don't. Other than having the ninja word in it, I don't think there's any connection whatsoever with any of the characters whatsoever. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. So so maybe this isn't like a part two. Maybe they just you know were like, hey, we're gonna make another. Yeah, they uh, consider I, it a part two, but I have no idea why. <laughs> Right, it's yeah. Just this, part of so, the ninja trilogy is what they call it. Gotcha. Um, so basically he, he comes home one day and his entire family has been slaughtered by ninjas. Yeah, he's um, in like Japan or something, right? Uh I think he's uh in China maybe Hong or Kong. yeah. I, I wanna say it's Hong Kong. Okay. Um and his son was spared, like one of the family members like took the son and, and put him, you know, in the woods somewhere. Um, and his mother was spared as well. I think she was either gone or she was hiding or something. And, uh, like he comes walking up with one of his friends. Well, rather than the ninjas all attacking them, they all just disappear, you know? And his friend is like an American guy. And he tells him like, you know, you need to come to America where it's safe. He's like, you know, we'll open a gallery and you'll make plenty of money, everything like that, you know. Nothing shady about this. Yeah, no, not at all. You know, <laughs> just an automatic business opportunity immediately after your family's been slaughtered. You, know? <laughs> you got nothing um, else here, man. <laughs> yeah, and they're literally, like, talking about it while there's, like, 20 dead bodies right behind them as if, like, you know, oh, well, that already happened. I guess we'll just talk about something else. Uh, so my cousin's up, still bleeding out <laughs> yeah exactly nah don't worry about him he's you know he doesn't have the time <laughs> uh, so you know he ends up moving to america and uh he is now like an importer of these like uh chinese ninja dolls yeah like ceramic uh, dolls 
Yeah. Um, and you know, they're like one of a kind and they're all handmade. So they're very expensive and they're getting them set up in the, uh, gallery and the, the little boy accidentally spills one and heroin pours out it, out of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, looks like heroin and- gene. truth serum Um, but uh you know so so now the little kid like you know has made this discovery so now it turns out that his friend that asked him to come here is importing heroin through his dolls and is also a ninja and like you know, and so then there becomes like an all out war between the gangster who was going to be buying the heroin and the ninja and then the ninja versus Shokazuki. And dude, wasn't like, there you know, a like uh, a John Wick element where he, he wasn't going to be a ninja anymore and he had his weapons like hidden away in something where he had to actually like open the box to get his sword out and shit? Yeah. yeah, and yeah. His sword had his sword had a tie on it so that it could never be broken. Oh, again, yeah. you know? um, and Dude, I'll tell you, there's this, <laughs> there's one scene where the the bad ninja kills Shokazugi's mother. Oh, right. Um, and she uses, like, a ninja vanish smoke to, like, disappear. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, good job, you know? And, like, the, the bad ninja walks over to the wall and, like, pulls out his sword and stabs the wall and straight, like, goes right through her oh, on the other right, side. That's right, that's right. Yeah, and, like, you know, while I'm like, oh, man... It's like, well, why, why were you still standing there? You, you obviously <laughs> fooled him. You could have gotten away, like, and instead you just stood there, like you kind of. That's kind of your fault. You Can, know? Canon films, man. Don't look too deep. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, and again, you know, with this one, um, I wish I knew the name. They're like small sickles. Um, they're yeah, some yeah, of my like favorite, si- like they're ninja not size weapons. or something, or no, size are the ones that what was it? Uh, I think Raphael had size. Yeah, Raphael they're, had they're size. Like trident type. Yeah, oh, see, oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, these were like, yeah, they're like small sickles, like sticks with like long curved blades on them. And like, dude, those became like my favorite ninja weapons from this <laughs> movie. Like, oh, so great, dude. I remember the big fight, man. That big fight on the top of the building and that guy had that kind of weird kind of crazy mask. Yeah, man. Really badass man. with that mask. Yeah, and he could, like, hypnotize people. There was, like, the main female role in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, also, Professor Tanaka is in this movie. That's right. That's right. Um, he just, dude, he's so awesome. We need to do a <laughs> Professor Tanaka pod. Like, <laughs> or at least put him was... on one of the character actors. Absolutely. Yeah, he yeah, could be on the sure. next one. For sure. Um, yeah. Um, and it's, so, yeah, so the, the, the bad ninja can hypnotize people. So he like, I remember specifically her name is Kathy because like the way he says it, he like talks in a very haunting voice. Like no Kathy, the little boy saw it and now he has to die. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's just so, Oh man, it's canon classic. Dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's so. going to use show Kazugi in a, in a couple more from here, but yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a break and go to breaking. <laughs> nice maneuver yes so it it might not be uh quantifiable if uh canon actually started the kind of ninja thing but i can tell you one thing they definitely started was the breakdancing trend 
Oh yeah, and that's absolutely. without a doubt, man. That this was the one thing that the and you, if you watch the documentary, you'll see a lot about this. Is this is the one thing that they this is the one movie that they nailed, and everyone was super surprised when uh, when it hit big. You know, because that first oh, one was yeah, huge. Absolutely, man. arguably, and we'll, we can go back and forth between the first and the second one. I actually like the second one more. Uh, maybe it was because I watched it more. But it had more of an 80s theme to it. It had that, oh, we got to save the community center, you know, uh, right, type, yeah. type of thing, which was really fun. But it, And it had the uh, the rotating room, which was incredible. That was one of the best parts oh, of right, the Electric yeah. Boogaloo when uh, Boogaloo uh, Shrimp was uh, dancing on the ceilings and shit. And if you watch yeah. the making of it, it's just they built a rotating room and everything. It's clever as shit. And, you know, when it's done right, and they and they really did nail it. Uh, oh yeah. Were these ones that you grew up watching? So, you know, it's interesting. These I actually didn't see until I was probably in like my twenties. Wow. Um, but you know, it was just one of those, like <laughs> a little <dude>. dated. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, but like, it was like, dude, you need to see these. These are like part of like, you know, hip hop culture, da, 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 da. And, and they absolutely were, you know? Um, and so like when I watched them, I was just like, Oh dude, these are great. I love these. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely one of the most iconic scenes from either movie. Um, I don't remember the young, I know one was laser, but I don't remember the other one's name. Uh, um, Shabadoo and Boogaloo Shrimp were the two main guys. Boogaloo Shrimp okay. was the, uh, the one who walked on the ceilings. And then Shabadoo was the one with the little mustache who was kind of the main guy, him and, uh, Lucinda Dickey, uh, who Lucinda Dickey will be talking about her in Ninja Three: The Domination. She played the possessed ninja in that one, but she started in Breaking and Breaking Two. And uh-huh. if you watch the documentary too, they uh, they kind of treated her badly. Almost they treated her like her character was going to be treated because in the first one, it was it was she was supposed to be this like well trained ballet kind of dancer for Broadway or whatever, and she was going to she ended up meeting these street performers and one of these the street performers were performing in this like major major kind of contest and everything and one of the street performers got injured so they had to bring in Lucinda Dickey to uh uh to learn how to break dance and they were teaching and everything but uh, in the movie they didn't want her part of the group she they were kind of like not too uh, keen on having her there and apparently that's how it was on the set too <laughs> right yeah I, I remember hearing about that yeah, um, and which also, is crazy <laughs> yeah um and also another fun fact with breaking um john claude van damme is in this movie yes and one of the coolest white man dances you've ever seen too (laughs) (laughs) it was in a a unitard oh yeah i remember watching both of these with my younger brother because my younger brother uh matt was really into break dancing and stuff like that i mean uh me and dave not so much my brother had that my younger brother had that flexibility you know he would he would just bust out in the worm or and all those like kind of uh really easier kind of breakdancing moves they used to do but he used to try to do them after watching breaking and breaking too no one had seen anything like boogaloo shrimp when he showed up and and now there's there's 20 or 30 you watch uh so you think you could dance you could see like 10 people that would blow him away but in 1984 you know no one had seen anything like that. yeah absolutely no and you know the one of the i was going to say earlier one of the most iconic scenes is when he has the broom yeah, see, that and was the first one, yep. 
Yeah, you know, and I mean, and you can clearly see the string on his hand, you know what I mean? But like, but that foot, that feet movement and stuff, I mean, that's all him. Yeah, dude. I mean, oh man, such a, such a fun movie. Yeah, they said that on the, on the set that he used to just blow them away. They would watch him do his thing and everyone just, they would just roll a camera and let him do his thing, man, because it was, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah. So I was glad when they uh, came out with the second one, but that was, that even might have been the case because they came out on the same year that, uh, uh, that I think I might have watched number two before one and then gone back and watched one. So, uh, but yeah, number two was that, like I said, that great, we got to save the community center. One guy outside's the asshole who wants to shut it down. They got to raise the money. And I mean, it was classic eighties, but the music was good too. I was watching parts of it earlier and I forgot how good some of the music was. I mean, there wasn't any lyrics to it. So it was all that kind of just great early, early kind of techno. That reminds me also, Ice-T is rapping on stage in the first one. Really? Wow. Yeah, he's the one. He's one of the guys at the club when they have that first battle with the other people where the girl comes out and they're like, and they never expected for the girl to come out. So everybody's like, oh, y'all got burned by a girl. And that's where they, you know, go and find the other girl. Um, but that's Ice-T rapping on that's stage. That's awesome. I'm going to have to rewatch yeah. the first one. I, I've seen, like I said, I've seen the second one way more than the first one, but I do remember it. Uh, yeah, see, I've seen the first one way more than the second oh, one, nice. you know, so perfect. <laughs> We've seen everything. Uh, yeah, we're like the Canon film guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the next one, and uh, I, I've seen, this was one of my uh, ones that I liked a lot from the Ninja trilogy was Ninja 3, The Domination. And the reason I liked it, because they blended kind of horror with the Ninja and the cheese all in one. And this was, it was certainly cheesy. I mean, this was a cheesy, cheesy movie. But it was also super, super fun. The supernatural element that they worked on it was really crazy. So at the very beginning of the movie, and it had an awesome opening. I used to love the opening all the time. I used to watch it, and it, I don't know if you remember, it takes place on the golf course, and for some reason... I was reason, just about to say, is it the golf course scene? Because yeah. that's awesome, It's the, the the ninja that's in, like, the gray outfit, and he was uh, he played a ninja in... Uh, I'm pretty sure he was a ninja in Jim Cotta, and, oh, nice. uh, and something else. I'm trying to think of what the other one was, but he, he wasn't Shokazugi, but Shokazugi was in this movie. He ended up coming in through, like, halfway through it. But so the gray ninja at the very beginning, you don't know why, you don't know why he's doing any of this, but he ends up, he's on like the golf course and he just starts slaughtering people like normal golfers. He would come up to them. There's a point where he grabs someone's golf cart as they're like, as they're like putting the pedal to the metal and trying to fly away. And he grabs the back of it and picks it up off the ground and runs his sword through the guy and chases the woman down and slashes her. Then the cops show up and because he's just slaughtered half the golf course, they just corner him and then like they shoot him with like hundreds of bullets and everything and (laughs) he ends up dragging him he uses like the smoke bomb and uh there's even a point i think this is the one where he goes in the sand where he does that twirl thing and he can go into the ground which was crazy Uh, yeah i think i remember that uh that might not have been this scene i think this was the smoke scene because when it cleared the cops were there and he was gone and he ended up dragging his half-dead body off to the side of the road where lucinda dickey from breaking plays this uh she's like a telephone repair woman that like climbs the poles and shit (laughs) right so she's she's coming down from one of the poles and out of nowhere the ninja comes over to her and attacks her and tries to get on top of her and she gets away and he like he like gets her attention and screams for her to come there and for some reason she's kind of in a trance and she she goes over there and he holds his sword out 
And basically what he does is he does like a child's play move where he transfers her his soul into Lucinda Dickey. <laughs> exactly. Give me the power, I beg of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just basically puts his body into hers and she passes out and she wakes up and uh, she goes to the police station. She doesn't know what the hell happened and they ask her a bunch of questions. She ends up meeting this like hunky police uh, guy that ends up entering the movie and is kind of helping her and everything and she she doesn't know what's going on and she'll get possessed by it and she'll go out in the ninja outfit and kill people and then wake up and not realize where she's been well a couple weird things happen in the police to me all the time i know it happened to me <laughs> last tuesday uh, <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie is where they have to be, the young cop takes her to the exorcist and the exorcist in this movie is Lo Pan from Big Trouble Little China. Oh, that's awesome. He looks just like Lo Pan except he's got this big nasty like uh wart or mole on his cheek. Molly molly molly. And uh He's trying to, he's like, she's been possessed by such and such ninja and you got to get him out and everything. And uh, then uh, Shokazugi, I don't know how he initially comes into the movie, but he ends up trying to hunt her down and he ends up getting caught by the cops and the young cops is wants his help and says, hey, you got to bring her. She's been possessed. You got to bring her and bring that possessed sword to like the top of this temple and everything. And then they have this great fight where at, at some point it... He, they do exercise the uh, Shokazugi is able to exercise the ninja, and so he's out. So you've you've got like the two ninjas fighting each other at the end, and Lucinda Dickey's just kind of watching, I guess. But <laughs> it's, it's interesting because when yeah, she's in the gray suit, it you, it's clearly not her, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be. So they right, sh- there's yeah. a great scene where they're having a funeral at, f- for one of the police officers, and she's like in a tree and starts like shooting the people at the uh, the the funeral service with arrows and shit. It was crazy. Yeah. The person in the suit is really like six foot two. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a mustache? That looks like a mustache. (laughs) Those are one of the, my favorite things at the beginning on the golf course is when the cop points the gun at him and he throws that dart that goes into the barrel of the the gun, into the gun. And it just blows up in his hand and you're like, Oh, they're pulling out all the stops. (laughs) Yeah. Within the first couple minutes of the movie, like, yeah, it was, was really, great. really good. I, I always liked it. It was cheesy and it was ridiculous, but it was a whole hell of a lot of fun, man. And it wasn't yeah. boring. I mean, it just kept going and it, it screamed the 80s. I mean, the 80s was like imprinted on this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Much more than the other ones do. So, all right. Well, this is this is the moment where the, the canon kind of uh, canon films take a small shift because Chuck Norris arrives. Yeah. So these are the missing in action movies. And what's very strange with the missing in action movies is they were basically making these movies at the same exact time. So they had uh, one of the directors was Joseph Zito, who directed Friday 13th Part 4 and and a bunch of other horror movies. So they got him to direct uh, the Mission in Action 1. And then Mission in Action 2, they got... uh, directed by Lance Hool. And I'm he hasn't done a whole hell of a lot, but what was going on is they were intending for Mission Impossible 2 to be Mission Impossible 1, but Mission missing Impossible in uh, missing in action, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they they thought number 2 was going to be 1 and they realized that the uh, that number uh, the the sequel one is actually going to be a little bit better so they st- they decided to release two first and then w- one afterwards and make one a prequel so it might have been one of the first prequels ever done 
Right. Number two, as a kid, I loved. I thought it was better than number one. And then watching it later as an adult, number one's actually a more complete and better film uh, altogether. Now, there was a number three that we're not even going to talk about, but were you a fan of uh, either of these movies? Do you remember the Missing in Action films? Yeah, so uh, this is one of those for me that, like, basically you could just say Missing in Action and it would all be the same film. Yeah. Well, one of them you know took place. I mean? One of them, they were prisoners of war through the whole movie. That's the one I remember the most. That's the second one, uh, which was now is that that's the one that came out second, or that's the one that yeah, was? It came out second. Uh, it, okay, it was technically going to be the first one, but they realized that the sequel. Uh, because in the sequel, it's it's hard to even explain it. <laughs> number I one, know, right? number one, he's actually returning to Vietnam to rescue very like Rambo two style. He's returning to Vietnam to rescue soldiers that have already been caught. And so what they intended, they were going to release that one that took place during the whole prison camp, and then they were going to do him coming back, you know, to that prison camp. But right. they realized that the uh, the the one with him returning to the prison camp was actually a better movie, so they released that guy first. And it was really good. It was uh, some really great stuff where uh, M- Emmett Walsh was in it, and he was over in, like, Saigon, and he had to give him a boat. And uh, there was this, there's this great summit going on, I guess, in, like, Saigon. And uh, Chuck Norris is is saying there's soldiers left behind in Vietnam and the Viet, uh, Vietnamese leaders are saying there's no U.S. soldiers in Vietnam. There's no one here. There's no secret camp and there's none of that. So while they're having this friggin' summit, he decides to escape from the hotel and get M. Emmett Walsh and get him a boat and all these weapons and everything. And he goes off and he rescues a whole shitload of... of uh, of American soldiers from Vietnam and he's bringing them back to the summit. It actually ends that way. I'll, I'll, I'll spoil this one because it's, uh, it's really cool. So he actually rescues them from Vietnam, gets them in the helicopter and they land the helicopter right at the summit. And he brings these, uh, and you can hear them in the summit screaming, uh, there are no American soldiers in Vietnam. And all of a sudden the doors bust open and Chuck Norris brings all the men, (laughs) 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 like throws them down on the table Take that, yeah. bitch. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but the second one was a shitload of fun, man. That second one was really cool. That was yeah, the one that I, dealt with the malaria, and it had that black guy from uh, 21 Jump Street who was like the traitor that worked with the Viet Cong there and uh, had the scene with the rat. Do you remember the scene with the rat? Is that the one where they heat up the the tin? No, I don't know what that is. That sounds cool, though, too. Oh, no. <laughs> what happened oh, with that tin? Man? Oh, you're talking about... <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, you've never heard. Of it. It's obviously from a different movie, but it, apparently it really does. Like it's a real form of torture. Ooh, what is it? Like they they'll take a metal bucket and they'll put they'll put a rat on your stomach, and then they'll take a metal bucket Ooh. and they'll put it over the rat. Oh yeah, and and then they heat it up, and so the rat needs to escape, and so it has to go somewhere. So it goes through you to oh, get that's out horrible yeah. <laughs> there was something similar they, they had that whole brad dorf scene in the graveyard shift is what basically what you're talking about except he made an incision uh and just stuck the rat's head a hungry rat's head right at the incision until it burrowed in, inside of you it was horrible oh, no man. this one was they they did two things they were doing this like psychological warfare on them uh, on the prisoners other than torching them and they would bring soldiers up and they would bring them uh they would put nooses on their head and they would put a gun to uh 
to the uh, guy's head and then they would shoot it and it would be blanks. And then every once in a while it wouldn't be blank, but most of the 90% of the time it was. So people would just get scared shitless and piss themselves. But the other thing they did was they would stick a uh, rat in the bag and then wrap and then hang you from your feet and put the bag around your head and just let the rat like eat your face. Oh God. And it's a crazy scene. And it was one of my favorite scenes as a kid. I remember like screaming in joy when it happened is they grabbed yeah. Chuck Norris and they tied Chuck Norris up from the feet and they put the rat in the bag and we'd already seen it done once and it fucked somebody up. And so they stuck the rat in the bag and Chuck Norris is swinging back and forth and everything. And the, the blood starts covering the bag and everything. And they, uh, they pull the bag off and Chuck Norris has a rat in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. He just that's like, right. I do. He totally ate that rat, man. Yeah. <laughs> this also has that famous scene where they were uh, they were escaping, but to, in order to get out of the jungle, you had to go past that rope bridge, and on the other side of the rope bridge was the Viet Cong with the flamethrower. Do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I do remember that. And uh, there was some really crazy stuff where the. Uh, um, I think the white guy that was in the prison camp with Chuck Norris, the small little kind of wiry white guy, got malaria, and the the Vietnam uh, Vietnamese soldiers were withholding the malaria uh, treatment for him, and so you had to see him like die. I think that was the first time I ever learned what malaria was. Uh, but there was that great scene, Chuck Norris. We had it, what was great about this movie is we got to see them do these horrible things to people. And then we got to see it twice. We got to see him like torture the guy with the rat, but then Chuck Norris eat the rat. We got to see them fry somebody on the bridge. But then when Chuck Norris got there, he fried them on the bridge and just blew the right. whole bridge up. And it was fun, man. It, it reminded very reminiscent to uh, Rambo two, you know, the second uh -huh. one, a lot of it in the prison camp. I think the whole movie was in the prison camp. Yeah. Because at the very beginning of the movie, they had those great title cards where they're trying to escape through the helicopter and uh, the the helicopter can't take off. So they start having to jump out of the helicopter. And whenever somebody jumps, the, the frame would freeze and then it would say private so-and-so first class. And then the uh, letters missing in action would come out. Yeah, MIA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it would be like a stamp and it was really cool. Uh, and they went through the whole that cast was. that way. It was fun, man. Usually you can find those movies on DVD as a set. Uh, I think I have the third one, but I, I, I watched it when I was younger and I didn't care for it. I liked the first mm. two a lot, though. Yeah, no, they were a lot of fun, dude. 84 and 85, that's when they came out. This is our start of our 85 run, then. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, is it? Yeah. So this next movie, this is one of the ones I said that I love so much was Life Force. And if you're not, are you familiar with Life Force at all? I'm I'm not. I've never even heard of it. Man, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie that has cra a, a crazy script, a crazy cast, and some really insane special effects that that kind of scared me as a kid because I remember seeing images from this movie before I actually saw the movie, and the images were really, really creepy. So what's going on? This is Toby Hooper, who is famous for doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Poltergeist, uh... <laughs> what fun house so a whole bunch of horror movies and sci-fi this was like one of his first sci-fi originally this was called uh space vampires they end up going with life force for some reason and it stars uh steve Railsback, who the one of the few things i remember him from was uh he played charles manson in the helter skelter movie but he also oh, really? played uh do you remember armed and dangerous the guy who drove the truck at the end that was filled with rocket fuel the crazy guy oh. that was driving john candy 
Um, he was maybe. just this wild man that John Candy like got into his truck and he helped drive him to the city. Uh, well, that was Steve Rell's back. He had like a short kind of live uh, career in the 70s and 80s. Well, he played one of the head astronauts. So I, I guess this is a time where maybe Halley's Comet or just this uh, another comet was, was up there. And these astronauts got close to the comet and then they realized when they got close, really close to the comet that there's these crazy, insane, like huge, massive vampire bats, like massive, uh, really cool creatures that they constructed for this movie. They're just like floating in like this area around the comet. And when they get closer, they find these like almost completely clear coffins. And inside each coffin are like two guys and a woman. And they, they look pristine. They look perfect. They look like models. And uh, the the woman they got got super famous off this movie. She was uh, her name is Matilda May, and uh, probably one of the most gorgeous women, certainly at that time uh, period. She just had a absolutely perfect body, and she was nude through eighty percent of this movie, like completely <laughs> completely nude, head to toe, uh, full bush, full ass. They just showed everything, and she had like really nice boobs, and she. It, cast this way for a reason because they knew she was going to be a, a big kind of pivotal role in this movie so they drag these three clear coffins back and she ends up uh they end up opening her coffin and she gets up and she's got like this mind control type thing and uh immediately kills the guy and then walks through this like military facility because they at this point they brought her back to earth and she comes across the security guard and she goes up and she kisses him. And she, the security guard just is standing there letting her because this gorgeous naked woman comes up to her him, and she lets him kiss him. And while he's kissing him, these like lightning is coming out of her mouth and her eyes. And basically she sucks his life straight out of him where he ends up looking like kind of a human prune. And that was oh, kind wow. of the, it was one of the craziest, uh, if you look at the photo that I put up on uh, Saturday, uh, this will drop on Saturday, the the middle picture is that, uh, the middle image is the the vampire, kind of the drained human vampire from, uh, from Life Force. It's creepy as hell looking. Oh, I remember seeing that image before, though. I think I saw it from that documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they I, definitely showed it in the documentary. Yeah. And I remember being like, "Oh, I want to see that one." I think, yeah, I think yeah, it's crazy, it. man. So, what, what what's interesting in the? I love the first half of this. I love the second half too. I can't say that I like one more than the other, but the first half is very interesting because you get to see kind of her just walking through the facility. She drains the security guard, and then she just walks through the like courtyard and disappears. And now the uh, they bring the prune kind of uh, body of the security guard into like the operating room. And right when they're about to cut him with a scalpel, his eyes open and he starts to try to talk, but he can't do it. And he sits up and everyone like backs up 10 feet and they're scared shitless. Well, the main surgeons like locks eyes with him and he goes up to him and he brings his mouth right up to him. And then the electricity starts happening again. And while the that uh, the prune like creature is draining the life out of the doctor and so in in like the span of 30 seconds with these cool special effects we see the uh, security guard come back to life and now the doctor is the shriveled up kind of pile of bones on the ground oh wow and he doesn't know what happened he's looking around like what the hell is going on and everyone grabs him and they like transfer him out of there and you're like what the hell is going on 
Well, Steve Railsback has like this mental connection with the Matilda May character, and she starts infecting all sorts of people. Where and she, not only is she infecting them, she can like transfer consciousness between different people she's infected, and then use them against everyone. So it was kind of a That's thing. That's pretty awesome. It dude. was like a thing element to it. You never knew it was in it. And halfway through the movie, uh, what's the guy who plays Picard? Uh, John Luke Picard, uh, Patrick oh. Stewart. Yeah, Patrick Stewart like shows up in the middle of the movie. I don't know if that guy was. It was like that line from uh, Back to uh, Back to the Future when they see Strickland. He's like, "Man, didn't that guy ever have hair?" I know, right? <laughs> Very yeah. similar to Patrick Stewart. He was like super young, but he had almost his his hair looked a little bit darker gray than the white but he looked very similar and it was a great scene where he's got to like talk like it's the woman he's talking through so he almost has these mannerisms as a woman as they strap him down to a table and they're screaming at him and everything and there's a scene where he's got to kiss steve reels back and it was just a weird scene for patrick stewart to play but it was intense at, at some point like half the city was like vampires and this and some of the vampires actually looked like weird zombie creatures. So they had a whole bunch of different stuff going on. So the terror in the street was was kind of the horrific, nasty monsters. But then the, the beautiful woman is kind of controlling this whole thing through these other people. It was a wild, wild movie, man. One that yeah, a lot of people have never heard crazy. of. Yeah, I'll definitely have to lend it to you because it's it, it kind of goes... Uh, it goes past a lot of people's kind of, uh, like, filter once you... Once People are picking out uh, horror movies or vampire movies. They skip right over Life Force, and Life Force has some just for the like special effects and the nudity and just the crazy kind of uh, elements that are happening in the movie. It's definitely worth a look. So, all right, now we continue with 1985, and we're gonna go okay. to another great series that I know we're both uh, we're both fans of. Another ninja series, and this is uh, starring the great uh, Dudikoff. Uh, Michael Dudikoff, uh, American Ninjas. Yes, dude. I love it. He possessed yeah. great skills. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from that movie, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, dude. It's so funny. Now, did you watch, you liked both of these? Uh, I've only had a chance to watch the first one. I've seen the second one, but I've, I've recently watched the first one. The first one was better. The first one was a lot better. And I remember growing up that I, for the longest time, I hadn't rewatched them. And then I remember in the back of my head, I said, I know I watched, I liked one a lot more than another. And I couldn't remember if it was two or one. And I rewatched them. It was definitely one was definitely the better one. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about, uh, American Ninja. So, uh, first of all, uh, Real, so Dudikoff, it kind of just starts off there like there's some people playing hacky sack. Yeah. Um, and dude, the guy from the guy that plays the uh, DEA officer in um, oh, what's that show about the guy who makes math? I can't think of Breaking Bad. Oh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, he's the like friend of kind of everybody's that starts talking to Dudikoff and starts like making fun of him. And like Dudikoff like doesn't even say a word to anybody about anything. And then, like, the, I don't know if it was the general or who he was, but he was a very high-ranking official at the military base. His daughter comes out, and the whole squad is, like, escorting them because they're not in America. They're in some, I would imagine, South American country. Yeah, I think I it was South America because they're dealing with gorillas and ninjas. <laughs> right, yeah. 
Um, and the and daughter, the, I should tell you, the daughter is uh, the girl from uh, Weird Science. She was one of the the young girls from Weird Science. She was also from really? uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Four. She was really good in that. She got killed. Interesting. In, I didn't she realize she got killed that. in the raft on Friday Thirteenth Part Four. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, well, so they end up driving into an ambush, and like they're going to be able to basically kind of have like a peaceful solution, but they're going to kidnap the general's daughter, you know, and sounds Dudikoff, like a good plan. Right. Yeah. Dudikoff basically decides like, he's not going to let that happen. And so he goes against like, you know, the army and like starts a fight and, you know, and he ends up saving her, you know what I mean? But like some guys die and stuff like that. He has to so, dip like, in the woods with her too, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he takes her into the woods and like they, you know, but they find their way okay safely and when he comes back, you know, everybody at the base is mad at him because like, you know, their friends got killed because of him and he likes he still doesn't want to talk or say anything to anybody and then I wish I could remember like his best friend's name either in the movie or the actor's actual name. Oh, I gotcha. You're talking Steve James, the black guy? Yeah, dude. He's yeah, he so played. Great, uh, he dude. played Jackson. Uh, Curtis Jackson was his name in the movie. Uh, Dudikoff's name was Joe Armstrong, and Curtis Jackson was. Uh, That's right. Was his name. I forgot. I, I love forgot Steve how... James because Steve James was in Delta Force, but he was also in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Remember, he played uh, Kung Fu Joe. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he was really good. He 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 became pretty famous because he had that unique look with that stash in the '80s. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, and they, so he comes up and starts talking shit to Dudikoff because he's like the man to beat on, you know, the base or whatever. Let's and, fight it out, brah. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> we'll know, take and, like, our Dudikoff, shirts off and fight it out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and Dudikoff like kind of beats him without beating him. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and yeah. like, and everything that he tries, you know, Dudikoff can counter. And so like. He, you and he, me are gonna be he, best friends, dude. Yeah, like he instantly <laughs> changes from like "fuck you," our friends are dead because of you. To, like, okay, you can fight. You're all right. What's You're all up, right. bud? Let's be. You want to have a sleepover? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. My mom said it would be okay. If she came over. She got snacks. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's what uh, I liked about number two. the The only great thing about number two is it started right off with those two guys, and they were like. In that one, they transferred them to, like, this private island, and it looked like paradise, but there was something going on there, and they had to, like, bust bust in and kind of figure out all the shady shit that was hum- happening. That, that first one had more of a kind of unique storyline to it. And yeah. I liked how a, a lot of the military, like, that girl's dad was in on it, right? She was, like, he was in league with, like, some, was it drugs or weapons? What, what was the big thing? It was, it was drugs. It was drugs. It was drugs, but like he, he was in it, but didn't realize that he was in it as much as he was. Yeah. I remember you know the I other mean? guy, the, uh, the kind of, uh, uh, the fatter kind of general guy that he was from ALF. He played the neighbor, Mr. Akhmatic. <laughs> no shit. I yeah. forgot about he that. He was also too. in, um, Mr. Ninja Akhmatic. three, the domination. Yep. So he must've been <laughs> a normal cannon guy. I know he was uh-huh. kind of shady, but I, I remember that whole part at the end. Where they're uh, they're doing that final drug deal and there's the helicopter and very reminiscent to uh, FX two if I remember correctly. Right, exactly right. <laughs> they were good though, man, and it made Dudikoff kind of a star. Yeah, but I think at the same time though, these are like the only things he did. Yeah, they brought him back. Didn't they bring him back for one of the Expendables, or was that just talk? Maybe, maybe he's uh, gonna be I, the third one. 
I don't remember. I mean, I've seen I think he's done a shitload, but they're all like garbage, like on-demand movies. I bet if we looked yeah. him up, this probably <laughs> he's probably done eighty movies, and we probably have heard of American Ninja <laughs> One and Two. <laughs> him and Jeff Speedman have been off making like yeah. buddy cop movies for yeah. the last thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, that only works in the eighties. <laughs> all right. Let's go on to this next one. This next one, I, I I love this one, man. This was another Chuck Norris one, and uh, Chuck has done had done so many with Canon, but this was always one of my favorite. Was uh, Invasion USA, also nineteen eighty five, man. This movie is fucked up. Bro. That beginning, man. <laughs> that Shit, beginning dude. thing on the boat. <laughs> yeah, man. Like the the bad guy in this, and I've seen him in a couple of yeah, things. Like he he's was recognizable. Uh, he was in Bad Dreams. Do you remember that horror movie? Uh, where he was the guy that had the snake head um no that was uh dreamscape Uh, oh yeah bad dreams was the one where it was a cult leader at the very beginning of the movie he's a cult leader and he he uh makes everyone drink kind of the kool-aid and he sets the whole like commune on fire and then uh once he dies one of the uh one of the people escapes from the fire and then he ends up haunting him in her dreams, almost like Freddy Krueger. It was kind of a low level kind of Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And he was in another movie called, I, I can't even say it because it's just the letter S six times. So it's, <laughs> and it's, and it's him turning into a lizard creature he, or a snake. Oh, wow. No, he's turning into a snake through the whole movie until they end up using this actor who has no arms and legs to play him. Once he's a snake It's very creepy. Uh, but he has that like intense, intense look in Invasion USA, where he looks like a crazy motherfucker. Well, yeah, and he's like he has no problem doing just awful things to people. Yeah, what was going you on know? at the beginning? What he worked for like the military, right? Like the Cuban military or something like that. And then they remember at the beginning they find some like uh, people that are uh, fleeing the country or coming into the country. No, one or that, the other. Yeah, I think it was like Cuban refugees were coming into America, and then uh, he ends up showing up, kind of posed as like an American agent, and saying "Welcome to America." And then him and his all his like compatriots just take out machine guns and like slaughter women and children just like on the spot, something like yeah, that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then there's and then when they're actually like, because he's like he's organizing an invasion into the United yeah. States. Through you know Miami. what I mean? And, through Miami and there's that scene where there's those two people on the beach, you know what I mean? And like they're skinny dipping and they come up onto the beach and they start like making out and messing around. And dude, he just walks up to them and like stares at them calmly and scares the shit out of them. And then just pulls out a gun and just shoots them both in the fucking head and just like, doesn't even think twice about it. Like, Dude, all through his parts of the movie, every time he's in a scene, like you know, something bad is about to fucking. Yeah, happen. he was. I mean, he is a complete psycho psychopath for sure. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck Norris is like he's like uh, you get to see him on like the Everglades and shit like that, and he's on the. Uh, they show him a lot on those what are those airboats type things. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's he's holding on the gators and shit like that, and yeah, basically. <laughs> It's also a Christmas movie. I mean, I forget about that every time I, know, I watch it. I know, dude. It's crazy <laughs> because there's there's no snow. It's like Christmas in Florida. You yeah. know what I mean? And and it also showed me how easy it is to make anything a Christmas music, a <laughs> Christmas movie. All you have to do is put Christmas music in the background, yeah. and boom, 
you now have a Christmas movie, you know? <laughs> it's that great scene, and they blew up some shit in this movie. About, like, halfway through the movie, you could tell that they were just, uh, the, the all their budget went to. They had tanks in town. They have rocket launchers everywhere. They they just roll into, like, this suburban, like, small neighborhood where kids are enjoying their Christmas and everything, and then they just start taking out rocket launchers and blowing houses up. Just one house yeah. after another blowing up. And remember, they go to the mall at some point and, like, blow the mall up and yeah. destroy all the stores. I mean, it's literally, it is an invasion into the USA. And Chuck Norris has to take him down, man. It's that great scene at the end where they finally come face-to-face with each other, and Chuck Norris has like a rocket launcher and just fires the rocket launcher and hits that guy square in the chest and he flies out the window and you're like, holy crap, man. If you're looking at like for a, this movie and the next movie we're about to talk about are probably the two wildest of the canon movies where they just, you could tell that they had, they closed the city streets and they just went wild. Yeah. Anything they could do, they did. Yeah, well, and in this one, um, I remember in the documentary, um, they talked about how they found an entire street, a whole street of houses that were getting ready to be torn down. Oh, nice. Because they were they were building something. And so they went to the city council and were like, look, we're making this movie. We'd be glad to demolish these houses for you. Can we please blow them up? And they, <laughs> and they let them. They let them blow up an entire neighborhood, dude. That's awesome. So all of that stuff is not just like, oh, we're going to build a set house and it's just going to be the, you know – the exterior frame and then we'll blow it up. No, those were all full fledged real houses that they got permission to fucking blow up. <laughs> like That's so much fun. That's why that, this documentary about this movie is so worth watching for people, man. You just get to see how independent dude. films are made, man, and how <clears throat> they do what they can at the time. And the, the movies that they made reflect the times and, Invasion USA was it, man. That was one of the, the, the big things, you know, where we were threatening to go to war with Russia at all times and you never knew what was going to happen. And we, we thought an invasion in the USA was possible at that time. Yeah. All right. Well, this next one, I love this movie, man. This is always, this is would be on my top hundred. It's one of those random movies that I love that people are always surprised that I like as much as I do. And that is, once again, 1985's Death Wish 3. I love all the death wishes. Even the fourth one has its kind of moments, but uh, the first one, have you seen all the death wishes? You know, I haven't. Uh, Do you remember three? I I remember bits and pieces from... I'll let you know. From like the... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, So the first one, the first one, very gritty, very slow, very difficult too. If anyone remembers the beginning of the first one is where uh, they... That's kind of sets Charles Bronson off... His wife and his daughter are getting like uh, um, kind of their groceries delivered to their house and these thugs get a hold of their groceries and they break into the house and they rape and kill. uh, They rape and kill the mother and they rape and almost kill the daughter. And uh, Jeff Goldblum's one of it. It's one of his first roles he ever did. He played one of the rapists and he was creepy as hell in the movie. He wore like a jughead hat. And he was just creepy as hell. And the first one, and that's what happened to Charles Bronson. He became pissed, and he became a vigilante, and he just went through the streets, and he killed people. The the second one, the second one was decent. You know, it had its good scenes. There was always something that catalysts Charles Bronson, and, you know, like got his blood up where he had to actually kill people. So in the second one, his daughter gets out of, like, this mental institute because she had been so fucked up she had to go to a mental institute. She was out for a day. She gets raped and she throws herself off the top of a building. (laughs) 
And you're like, damn, man. And I think, I'm pretty sure Death Wish 2 was also a canon film. But it wasn't, it didn't have the fun that Death Wish 3 had. So so let's focus on Death Wish 3. He's going back into this, like, uh, inner city kind of uh, town to see his old friend. And he gets back there and he realizes his friend had died. And he goes to the building and the building is like overrun with crime. And he realizes, you realize shortly on that they, Paul Kiersey is the name of the uh, Charles Bronson character. And right when he gets there, he realizes, man, these people need my help. And so he ends up moving in and he becomes good friends with Martin Balsam, who is uh, a lot of people might remember him. He's the guy from uh, Psycho that ends up getting cut on the stairs and falls down, the detective. That's when he was really young, and then when he was older, he did a lot of TV. He was in Delta Force, uh, which is our uh, couple movies from now. And he's kind of the old guy that lives in the building that just tells him what's going on and everything. But what was great about this movie is he ends up meeting the chief of police at some point, who is Ed Lauder, who uh, he's a great character actor. He was on True Romance. He was in a bunch of movies. I think people look at his name up, you'll recognize him. And... uh, he recognizes him from his time of being a vigilante in New York. And the difference between this is he's like, this town sucks, dude. And I'm giving you con blanche to like kill as many people as you want. Go to town. Oh, wow. And so he ends up like cracks a little smile and he's like, all right. He says, I've gotten permission from the cops to do what I want. So he starts off really slow doing these really cool booby trap type things. One of my favorite scenes is, and everyone that lives in the building is sweet as hell. So, so you're you're like really rooting against the the scumbag element, right? Yeah. And the the, the criminal elements run by this crazy uh, redheaded guy that uh, he was in uh, Superman three. He was the redhead from Superman three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's been in a couple other uh, great movies. Uh, people probably recognize him too. And Alex Winter is one of the low level scumbags in this movie. Uh, Bill from Bill and Ted. Yeah. Do you see the new trailer? No. Oh, new trailer drop, man. Look good. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, check it out time. after the pod, man. Alex Winter. He looks great in it, too. I think he looks better than uh, uh, than Keanu, man. I think he looks great. That's awesome. And he dude. played one of the scumbags in this movie. He's actually, he talks a little bit in the documentary uh, about his time on Death Wish 3. But <clears throat> one of my favorite scenes is he's eating dinner with this nice, like, Jewish family and everything. And uh, all of a sudden, you hear this huge bang. And he had set up this board like a spring-loaded board that if someone tried to come through the window it would come up and it smack them in the face so they heard this noise and a scream and they all run into the bathroom from like the dinner table and they pull the board back and there's these two little pieces of like you couldn't even tell what it is stuck in the board and the the family's like what the hell is that and he's like their teeth that's (laughs) what i thought the board just knocked him in the mouth and pulled his teeth out man it was awesome but literally the last third of this movie was insane i challenge anyone to see like a a, or pick a movie that's just as crazy as what's going on in the last third of this movie so they realize that they have to take paul kersey out the gang and the gang consists of like 300 400 people so the last third of the movie is just all 300 of the gang members taking on him and people from the apartment building. There's this one Hispanic guy that's fighting just with like this homemade zip gun. And then the, uh, the old guy, Martin Balsam, busts out like a browning machine gun at some point where oh, literally shit. Charles Bronson's on like the uh, on the balcony just firing it like crazy with the machine gun and taking everybody out. I'm not sure what the kill count in this movie is, but it has to be around 100, 150 men. So, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, 
everything I've ever heard about this movie is that like, cause you know, I mean, dude, when you get to number three in a series, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, but <laughs> you, I have, you bust the Ewoks have, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have never heard anybody say anything negative about death with death with death wish three. Um, you know, and like, I remember seeing one scene where he's walking back to his car and two guys are robbing his car and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And they're like, we're stealing this car. What do you care? And he's like, it's my car. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And he just pulls out his gun and fucking kills them both. Oh you yeah. Know what I mean? Like shoots him right in the know? back, man. Yeah. You know? So like he I, set, he it, set that car up for that purpose too. He bought, he bought like a beater and he just parked it really, uh, uh, as like bait basically right in front of the apartment building, just hoping yeah. someone would fucking attack it and everything. Give him a reason to do it because he, <sighs> he had somewhat of a conscience that he wants to know you're a scumbag. So yeah. it, it was fun, man. I, it was one of the three that I would recommend for people to just, if you could skip one and two and just watch that. I mean, one's a classic, uh, two was good, but two was a little over the top, not as much as three, but it, it wasn't as fun. It didn't have that fun element. It was a little bit more kind of dark, I think, than the third one, which was a mm. lot of fun. At the end of the movie, the cop is like walking down the street, ki- killing people with him. He's like, he's taking one guy on the side of the, it's like they're walking through an old West saloon almost. Right. Or, yeah. Or like the exactly. town where you get the top, right. you get the people on top of that side and I'll get the people on the top of that side. And it was just a yeah. classic kind of movie backlot kind of chaotic explosions and shit. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a fan of like just classic Chuck Norris or uh, Charles Bronson Charles action Bronson, films, yeah. it, it was great. All right. These next two, and this is uh, number 11 here. We got uh, th- basically three more movies here, but the next one we're talking about is a, 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 a sequel, the original and the sequel. And this was the Alan Quartermain kind of movies, which consisted of King Solomon Mines, uh, which was 85, and then in 87, Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. Now, do you yeah, remember yeah. watching these? No, I, I, these are two more I'm not familiar with. Oh, I, the only reason I know... The only reason I know who Alan Quartermain is is from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Ah, that's a horrible one. We won't talk about yeah. that. <laughs> but, it, I mean, he's basically Indiana Jones. It's like a low-rent Indiana Jones, but I'm pretty sure the Alan Quartermain character was, was always something part of, like, literature from, like, the 50s. I think there was a the, there was an original King Solomon's Minds from 1950, so this was actually a remake, really. Uh, and the, they both had great fun fun stuff in it they both starred richard chamberlain who was who was a pretty big actor at the time i mean he was known for doing uh count of monte cristo the man in the iron mask uh he also did shogun which was that kind of uh big tv series uh or uh mini series that dealt with like the uh the japanese warriors so he was coming in this pretty pretty famous and it was, it was very like indiana jones in almost every aspect when you're watching it you're like oh this is a low red indiana jones uh sharon stone came in as the uh kind of the love interest who couldn't get anything right and who would just scream when <laughs> bugs were on her and everything which which is i'm pretty sure she was not a fan of these movies because after she did these movies and a couple of those early kind of stallone ones she was like done playing that helpless woman and then every role she did after that was like this kick-ass chick who, <laughs> who who was like a linda hamilton type of character you know or like obviously basic instinct uh and from what right. i hear she was a real bitch on these movies <laughs> Do you remember I the documentary? Just about to say that, yeah. <laughs> the documentary was so funny when they were. I was. I love when people are candid about um, 
about actors and the relationships and how bad they are or how people didn't get along. And Richard Chamberlain started the documentary when they started talking about King Solomon's Mines. He was like, you know, Sharon, she's a good woman and she's really smart and she spends a lot of time reminding you how smart she really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you remember it. So jumping forward to like um, the Alan Quarterman, The Lost City of Gold, Cassandra Peterson was one of the actresses in it. And uh, Cassandra Peterson is Elvira. Uh, and she, oh, wow. she wasn't her Elvira character. She, she looked like her, but she had long red hair. And if you knew what her face looked like, you'd probably be able to recognize her. But in the documentary, she said the locals hated Sharon Stone so much that they would like piss in the river when they knew that she had a scene where she had to stand in the river for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much they hated her. <laughs> she just, apparently she just complained and complained and she kind of, this movie is beneath me, but, but not beneath her enough to come back for the sequel. So apparently that paycheck was pretty uh, splendid. But uh, the first one was fun. The first one had to deal with them going uh, to find the, obviously the lost, uh, the King Solomon's mines, which had all the jewels in it. And when they, it had John Reese Davies as playing this one character and they were all trying to race and get into this kind of cool mine before anyone else. And it had booby traps and all this really, really crazy fun stuff. There was one scene where they got caught by these, uh, savages and they were gonna cook them in this huge like pot almost like bugs bunny style with the carrots and shit like that yeah what's cooking doc <laughs> yeah, yeah it was exactly that and literally <laughs> they put him in the they put him in the pot with the boiling with the water that was heating up and they had vegetables all around him and uh he has to explain to them uh before they get put in the pot and they was like they're gonna eat us man these guys are cannibals so when they're in the pot they start yeah. moving it back and forth and the pot rolls down the hill and then they end up getting away that way it was, <laughs> it was ridiculous but it was funny. Uh, the second one, uh, the the one shining, well, there were two shining things about the second one, in my opinion. One was James Earl Jones. He came in as this axe-wielding kind of guy that wore this, like, leopard print, like, uh, he wore, like, a leopard print uh, toga <laughs> through the whole movie, and he just wielded an axe, and he w- had that booming voice, and he was really great. And the the kind of premise for that is, He's living, Richard Chamberlain's living with Sharon Stone and they're done adventuring and everything. But then one of his brother's like uh, friends kind of rolls up to the house half dead and says, your brother, your brother found uh, the lost city of gold and he's in trouble and you got to go save him. So that's kind of what brings him back to the life. And he's got to go hunt down this lost city of gold. And when he finds it, that's where Cassandra Peterson is. And the main bad guy is Henry Silva. And Henry Silva is a madman in like real life. You'd have to pull up his picture. He plays crazy characters in every. I think he's the main bad guy in Code of Silence, the other Chuck Norris movie. But he's definitely in Ghost Dog, uh, The Way of the Samurai, and he's just a wild man. You could tell when he's doing a role that in no, it's very Christopher Walken style. Like you see him give a delivery, and you're like, "There's no way that was the delivery on paper." He's just a wild right, man. and yeah. he's like dipping human beings into the gold, and he's hanging them up all around this whole thing. And so, they have to. Uh, There's this great scene where the Richard Chamberlain at the beginning of the movie buys this like protective like chain mail that he wears under his shirt. So when he gets to the Lost City of Gold and one of the guys throws the arrow at him and it doesn't go into his chest, they think he's a god. And they're like, uh, they start treating him like C-3PO in Return of the Jedi. And uh, <laughs> he, he's got to like take over and uh, the 
gold starts flowing like lava all over the city and it, it was fun man i i like the music for it a lot actually I'm, I'm not sure who did the music it might have been um what's that one guy who did the music for alien damn i love him too can't think of him but if you listen to the soundtrack it was fun you know i mean it wasn't indiana jones for sure but it was a low rent right. indiana jones <laughs> yeah, which, which, which can was still fun. be fun yeah it was yeah. fun all right our last movie here this is, uh, and we're going to end it with a Chuck Norris one, man. And this was, when I think like terrorist or hijacking movies, there's really like two movies I think of. I think of, uh, what's the one with Kurt Russell where uh, Seagal dies? <laughs> executive uh, Executive decision. decision. It's why you keep bringing that up, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, dude. <laughs> the fuck, man? That shit scarred me, bro. <laughs> this was very similar. That movie was very similar to Delta Force because almost half the movie of Delta Force took place on the airplane. And it was a uh, it was a plane that was taking off from Greece, and it was on its way to like New York, and it got hijacked and brought to uh, damn Beirut. It brought got brought to Lebanon. And this was '86. Obviously, it was in the height of like terrorist uh, hijackings and stuff. And we well, had yeah, seen- this was like right after that big uh, like where they. They executed the hostages, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Like, well, there was the Munich um, one, and then there was that one. I think that raid on Entebbe was a uh, one based on a true story, which uh, dealt with the, uh, a lot of the hostages dying. So this was very kind of popular at the time, but so wasn't like the Delta Force that was going to come in and save the day. Also, great right. soundtrack on this movie. I couldn't believe that they got Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin, huge actor, obviously from the Dirty Dozen and like tons of other big, huge movies. So they somehow talked Lee Marvin into being this movie, and he brought a lot of credibility to this movie. This one, this movie shined a lot more than most of the canon films just because of the cast in it. Because it was not only just Lee Marvin and Chuck Norris, the the hostages on the plane were some of the biggest old school classic actors. George Kennedy from Naked Gun, yeah. um, Martin Balsam, obviously from uh, Death Wish Three, Shirley Winter, Shelley Winters. From like oh, wow. the Poseidon adventure, and she played Roseanne's mom or grandmother on Roseanne, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a couple other famous um, people in the movie. And the I should mention the main terrorist was played by uh, Robert Forster, the uh, guy from Jackie Brown. You know the bail bondsman from Jackie oh, Brown, yeah. playing like this complete like caricature terrorist with his Middle Eastern accent. Now, he's from New York, but he, he pulled this kind of like a Middle Eastern terrorist kind of off like to a T, man. And it was it was classic. It was like, we're taking over this plane. We're going to land here. And uh, Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin are the part of the elite Delta Force that come there. And at some point, they, uh, they're going to infiltrate the um, the plane and they don't realize that other terrorists got on board and they think there's like two terrorists and there's actually like 14 terrorists and they have to like abandon it. So they take off again and they have to fly to another country. It was like many different countries and everything in this movie. So I don't know. They probably didn't film it in many different countries, but they made it look like they were in there. For yeah, sure. just different airports. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and it all came down to like, you know, Chuck Norris had to drive the motorcycle up to the uh, to the plane as it's about to take off and he's got to get on it and they got to take down. Uh, and this, they came to like this hand in hand combat between him and Robert Forster, which was weird to watch Robert Forster play this role because I'm used to him playing more like the Jackie Brown type roles, you know, that, that when he was right. older and he wasn't in, uh, in good enough shape. So it's weird seeing him go like one on one against Chuck. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. He doesn't win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler no alert. No one does. Yeah. <laughs> I love these movies, man. They're just so much goddamn fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, dude, I, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to some of the ones on the second list, too, yeah. man. Yeah, some really good ones on that second list. Some uh, Firewalker, uh, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre 2. I'm trying to think what else is on that list. You, Bloodsport. Bloodsport, uh, Cyborg. Yeah. yeah, we got the Van Damme kind of uh, run stuff. Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. It started with Breaking and then it finished with Cyborg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go, dude. Man, real. Cyborg's an interesting one to talk about. They talked about that a lot of that in the documentary where it was basically an unfinished movie that no one had any clue what the hell was even going on it. I, I love that documentary, man. It, it really, and we'll talk a little bit more about that documentary in the next one too, but... Yeah, we should we should talk about the documentary. Oh, for sure, I'll put it on the, I'll put it on the list itself too. Yeah. So, but if anyone's listening and you want to check out that documentary, it's called uh, Electric Boogaloo. The I think it's like the wild and true stories of Canon Films or something like that. Yeah, That's I'm phenomenal. pretty sure you can. I'm pretty sure it's available to stream free through one of the big. Uh, streaming things i'm not sure if it's amazon prime or what it is so people have to look it up but uh well well done there's another great documentary about uh roger corman also really great but the canon one like like you said man when i let you borrow you ended up watching it like three or four times yeah it's yeah, just absolutely. fun man and, and i can't wait to try i gotta figure out what the name of the other one is um so that i can watch that I'd oh yeah i forgot that. about that that they were gonna make another one too that themselves <laughs> They did make it, and they made it, and they released it three months before the other guys finished there. And that, and that was their thing, bro. Yeah. They just pumped them out. Yeah. Like you the other know, one probably uh, made them look like Oscar-winning directors too. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely, dude, absolutely. Like, oh, it's gonna be great. I gotta find. That yeah, one. I'm sure it won't be highlighting all the fuck ups like this one. No one will be burning the script in the middle of the interview. <laughs> yeah no shit God. i just love it. it it must have been wild man to be one of those actors that just was lucky enough to work on those types of movies and just be a part of something that was like you know i mean like almost like what we're we were doing but just they had a lot bigger budget of money to do it you know yeah absolutely it's, it's yeah, fun could, man yeah i mean could you imagine going along for that ride like just being on being somebody that was in the inner circle there with, you know, from the beginning or shortly thereafter and followed that wave all the way until they ended up splitting and everything oh, man, like that. They probably like, got stories to tell, man. They should be putting them uh, in books and everything. Like Alex Winter yeah. certainly got a uh, an eyeful on Death Wish three and some of these actors that just kept coming back with them. Like Chuck Norris. Why isn't Chuck Norris talking? I mean, Charles Bronson's dead now, so we can't get an interview with him. Right, yeah. Chuck Norris, I would love to hear what he what his thoughts were because, I mean, he was their main bread and butter for the longest time. They, yeah, they made his career. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? I mean, right. I, and same with Charles Bronson. And Charles Bronson had already been in, like, some really heavy, like, Oscar-winning movies, but he didn't become, like, a household name, really, until the canon film started, like, pumping out all those death wish movies and like i said 10 to midnight murphy's laws on the next one which is one of my favorite charles bronson movies that i'm looking forward to talking about so it'll be cool i think next week we're uh so it's going to be in two weeks we're going to do part two of the canon films next week we're going to do part two of the spy films that me and dave oh, nice. are going to talk about another one that has a great list of spy movies man really fun ones Whoa. that we've been rewatching. I'm going to be there, but, uh, you know, you won't know. You won't know. 
<laughs> I'll be listening through my listening device. <laughs> yeah, I just well, I've been keeping up and watching a, a bunch of the ones Canon films and the spy movies. I've been going back and forth between Canon and spy movies, and I've uh, watched that uh, Red Sparrow with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Have you seen that? I don't think that I have. It was good, man. It was good. I, it was very point of no return. I'll talk about it a lot more in the next pod, but it reminded me a lot of point of no return, and she was really, really good in that. And I always liked Jennifer Lawrence, so I was surprised that that one kind of went under the radar when it came out in the theater. Uh, but yeah, we'll come be coming back with that, and then we'll do part two of Canon, and then we're going to all be back together to do a classic wild card episode, which will be yes. super exciting, man. I've already added one to the list, so... But we will be back next week. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us uh, before then, you can always check us out. Fascinated with Films on Facebook where you can see our pictures, uh, the collage that we're about to drop. The collage for this one is great, man. I, I love the collage for the Canon films that I put together. So if you listen to this, definitely go to our Facebook page and check it out. See all those great images from these great cheesy action movies. Uh, <clears throat> same with part two. If you want to shoot us an email, though, you can shoot us at fascinatingfilms at gmail.com. And you could also leave us a like or a comment on our two platforms, iTunes and SoundCloud. So, Hell yeah. It'll be great. But till next week, see you. Adios. Are you some kind of a badass karate boy?